Well, good Wednesday evening to you all. Happy to be here again tonight. I was here last week. For those of you that weren't here last week, can I see hands if you weren't here last week just to get an idea? Wow, all right. Well, my name is Matt Schmucker, and um, for those of you that don't know who I am, uh, I used to be on staff here at the church and uh, did a lot of different things in my time here. One of the things I did was to help develop the Freedom Ministry that is, is currently still ongoing here at the church. And um, I'd like to just take a moment and say, if you haven't been through the Freedom Ministry here in any way, shape, or form, I would highly encourage that. Pastor Deb does a fantastic job. And I'm talking about Freedom uh, last, night, or last week, tonight, and next week, um, but there's definitely a lot more that you can absorb in those classes. Um, so I would highly recommend not just the classes, but Kairos and all the different things. So, all right, let's move on to our stuff here. Um, last week I introduced the, the kind of the, the working title that I have for this is A Soul Oriented Toward Freedom. Uh, having a soul oriented toward freedom. And last week we talked about um, just in our pursuit of this thing we're talking about called freedom, often people begin by identifying things in their lives that they want to be free from, and they usually begin their journey there. Um, but I think it's really helpful for us that before we begin pursuing freedom from something in our life, that we first begin to understand what freedom truly is from a biblical perspective. And so last week, the bulk of our time was spent on that, looking at different scriptures and coming up with a, a synthesis definition of what we mean when we say freedom. And that definition was to respond to God fully out of who he has created and redeemed us to be. Now that is a loaded statement. I don't have time to go through all of that, so you can listen to last week's to catch up, or again, um, jump into those freedom classes, but uh, to respond to God fully out of who he created and redeemed to us, uh, us to be, heavily implied in that is that this is a journey of becoming someone, uh, rather who we were created to be, not just a destination that we, we check off once we end the class or we end the sermon, but it's a journey that we engage in in getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and in turn we begin to know more and more who he created us to be. So uh, the next thing that I said last week was after we get free from bad definitions of freedom, because if we define freedom in, a, in, a, in an incorrect way, we're going to pursue something that isn't really freedom. So we wanna have right definitions. The, the next thing that I said was that we need then to get free from ourself. Because even if we have the right target for freedom, the right definition, if I am my own source of that journey, I'm still going to end up in the wrong location. Uh, and, and this is something that escapes us sometimes because of what, what we're gonna talk about tonight. So tonight I wanna talk about getting free from yourself. And, and I hope that becomes more clear as we, as we talk through this. Um, and there's lots of different ways I've talked about getting free from yourself, but tonight I wanna to talk about one way in particular, and I think it's the most subtle, unseen way that we need to be free from ourselves because it's so ancient, it's so old, and it's so ingrained in us as human beings that it's hard to see. 
Jesus, when he, was, when he was in his earthly ministry and he was preaching the kingdom of God, it said he went about preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is, is here. And, you know, we hear the word repent, and I've heard repent talked about a lot of different ways, but if you look at the original Greek language of the word repent, the word repent is the word metanoio in the Greek. And the word meta is the word that we use for a word like metamorphosis, you know, how a caterpillar becomes something completely different and changing into a butterfly. And noia is, is talking about the way that we think. So metanoia, when we talk about, when Jesus says repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's present, it's, close, it's within your grasp. Jesus is saying we need to think differently. Now, not just different thoughts, but we need to think differently in order to perceive and to see the kingdom, in order to enter into the kingdom. We need to think differently. I grew up hearing about Jesus Christ, but there came a day where I encountered him in such a way that I, I saw him in a whole new way, and it reordered the entirety of my life And that now, well, he wasn't just a guy from history that I learned about in church, but he was the Lord of my life. And the way that I thought about him, the way that I thought about Jesus changed in such a way that I began to live differently. But when we talk about repent, we're wanting to begin to think differently, think from God's perspective, and the result of that is that we begin to live differently. And so repentance is something that should rather be a, a lifestyle of us thinking differently, encountering God's ways and God's thoughts about things and surrendering to those things. And as, an, as a result, we begin to think differently. The way that we take in reality, the way that we see, the way that we perceive things begin to change in such a way that we align ourselves with God and we begin to live differently. So Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's one area that I think we really need to begin to think differently about. And again, it's an ancient way, it's an old way, and it's ingrained in our humanity, and therefore it's, it's kind of hard for us to, to see sometimes. So I'm gonna just pray briefly, if you would with me. And I'm not just doing this just to do this, but just to reposture our hearts. And just for us to recognize God is present, he's working, he's doing stuff. And I'd rather you be more in tune with that even than the English coming out of my mouth. I just want you to take a second and just recognize that, that God is here, he's present, and he's speaking to you. And Father, we just invite you to open the eyes of our hearts and to help us to catch this that we're talking about tonight, Lord, that we can be more free from ourselves and more plugged into you. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> so I wanna talk about then the, the problem that Jesus came to solve. Jesus came to solve a problem in humanity, but the very nature of that problem makes it highly likely that we will misunderstand and misinterpret the problem that Jesus came to solve, <laughs> which is problematic, right? Can you hear that in there? The, the very nature of the problem Jesus came to solve makes it highly likely that we'll misunderstand the problem that Jesus came to solve. And that's a problem in and of itself because the way we define a problem will determine the solutions that we apply. Let me talk to the guys for a second. You ever had, well, I'm sorry, that, that might be sexist. Let me talk to everyone. You ever have a, an alternator go bad in your car? Anyone in here? You know, usually what happens when that happens is you think your battery's dead. 
and after you change the battery two or three times, not that I've ever done that before, you find out that the problem that you're solving is not the problem. It's actually a much more expensive problem. It's the alternator that's charging the battery, and, and if we spend all our time defining the battery as the problem, we're never gonna actually solve the problem, which in and of itself is a problem. Now let me, <laughs> I was gonna talk to the guys and then the girls, but then I realized that's really silly. There's another example from my own life. We, we wanna make sure we, we identify the problem correctly if we're gonna have good solutions. Um, when I was engaged to my wife, we had gone through a class um, talking about things that can be in your life that can, that can be, cause problems in relationships. And I prayed and I asked God if there was anything in my heart that would be problematic in my upcoming marriage that he would reveal that to me. And so a couple weeks after I prayed that prayer, I went home one night and waiting for my lovely bride-to-be to give me a call on the phone because we were gonna hang out that night. And she said she was gonna call me at eight o'clock. So the, the phone, I sat down, I pulled my landline phone over to my bed and just sat there and watched it and waited for it to ring. I was just so excited. Eight o'clock rolled around, she didn't call. 8.05, 8.10. At first I was concerned. I'm like, oh, I hope she's okay. But then I started to get really angry. And uh, I, I, irrationally angry. I started to get really upset and think, you know, in my, in my heart I started to think, you know, good and decent people, when they say they're gonna do something, they do it. Now let me just say this, my wife had never done anything to, uh, taint my trust in her. She was always top-notch, awesome, and she still is. She's incredible. And so I'm irrationally just starting to get angry, and, 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 I, and I even start to quote scripture in my heart. You know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I'm, you know, I'm going to tell her that. She said, yes, I'll call you. Finally, the phone rings at 8.30, and I pick up the phone. I'm like, hello. She says, oh, hey, how's it going? I'm so excited. Sorry, I'm like calling, blah, blah. You know, and, I, and I'm like, uh-huh. Given her these short one-word answers, and finally she asked me the magic question. What's wrong? And everything I had rehearsed in my heart, I just kind of lit into her. Good people, decent people, when they say they're gonna, <laughs> and I start going off. Forgive me, she has, I think. Um, so I start going off, and in the middle of my rant, I, I almost am like looking at myself from without myself, if that makes any sense, and I start to think to myself as I'm ranting, what is your problem, man? And I stopped to take a breath, and in that moment, the Lord answered that prayer from two weeks ago, and I saw in my heart, from when I was a little kid up until my relationship with my wife, all of these times in my life that I had been rejected via the phone. Friends that would say, hey, we'll call you this weekend. And the, I sat and watched the phone all weekend and it never rang. Girlfriends that I had previously, hey, I'll call you and hang out this weekend. I'm watching for the phone ring, and come to find out they're out cheating on me with somebody else. All of these hurts that I experienced via rejection over the phone, I never even made that connection. And finally the light came on, I was like, Kelly, I am so sorry. Let me tell you what's going on and I shared it with her and I began to forgive those, pray and forgive those people and I just invited the Lord to heal my heart and he did in such a way that she to this day can show up late, not, not that you do too often, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, but I am relatively certain that had that not happened, my definition of the problem was she needs to call at eight o'clock. That needs to change. And I would probably be making an appointment with somebody like myself, trying to get them to convince my wife to call when she says she's gonna call. 
But that wasn't the problem. The problem was my rejected and wounded heart. And often the places where we're so sure and justified is usually connected to really deep pain. And we can sometimes even have scripture to go with it. That didn't get any reaction. Okay, I'm gonna move on. So we want to correctly identify the problem so that we can come up with solutions that actually help us. So the problem Jesus came to solve had its beginning in Genesis chapter three. Theologically, we call that the fall of mankind. Uh, And in that chapter, we're gonna see that Adam lost two things in the garden that day. Uh, But before I get to that, I wanna look at how Adam was made, how mankind was created, our original design, and the mandate that was given to us by God. I think if we can come at it from that perspective, it helps us to really connect with what's going on. So I'm gonna read some scripture. RAV folks there, the first set of scriptures I'm gonna read, I don't want you to put up on the screen, I just wanna read it first, but the rest of them you can put up there. Um, Because I just want you to hear this. So, this is the creation account, I'm gonna read a couple different sections in here. Genesis chapter one, and I'm gonna start in verse 20. And I want you to listen for the repeating phrase in these sections of verses. It says, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea. Let the birds multiply on the earth. This was the evening. There was morning and a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Anybody hear the the, the repeating phrase? There's a lot of them, but the one that stands out the most to me is after their kind, after their kind. Now, it's repeating that over and over again. You think, you know, maybe it'd only have to say it once and we would get it, but I think God, it's, it's leading to something. It's like a song, it's coming to a crescendo. But he says, after their kind, after their kind, after their kind, establishing this law of reproduction that, that like things will reproduce after their own kind. So we can be sure as human beings that two human beings are going to reproduce a human and not a dog. Two dogs are going to reproduce dogs and not a cow. We can be relatively sure that we can go up to an apple tree and not pluck an orange off or a pig. Things reproduce after their own kind. Now along with that, so this law of reproducing, reproduction, Gives us, gives us that idea, but also it helps us to identify things. We can then identify these are pigs, these are apples, these are oranges, these are humans, right? We can look and we can identify based on what they came from. So this law of reproduction helps us with the law of identity. So now with that in mind, I wanna go to the very next verse. It says this, so this is like a song building to a crescendo. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, take dominion, and rule over the earth. So after going after their kind, after the, then God says, now I'm going to make something after my kind. 
He's reproducing after, now we're not God, right? But we are created in God's image. And so that all of creation could look at us and go, there's the sons and daughters of God. They may not be him, but they sure look like him. And they don't just look like him, but they're full of life. They're full of peace. They're full of joy. They take dominion, but not in the sense that they rule over each other, but they fill the earth with God's glory and God's nature. Uh, this is important. And so then we're gonna move and we're gonna look at a little more intimate telling of that creation. And it says in Genesis, and you can put these up now if you want. It says in Genesis 2, verse 7, kind of zooming in on that creation of man. It says, then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So get the picture of that. God takes from the earth and forms the man, and the man is formed, but the man is not yet a living being. Not until God breathes into him the breath of life. Then it says he became a living being. So catch this, what made Adam, Adam, was what came to him and filled him and through him from God. It's almost as though the first act of worship that Adam did was this. taking in the breath of God and because of that breath coming to him, in him and through him, he was animated and he became a living being. So I want you to catch this, that what made Adam, Adam was what came to him from God and filled him from God and through him from God. And he became a living being. So he was created in this state and, and we're such an interesting creation, us human beings, in that we're both of the earth and of God. He was both formed from the earth but then something from God is what brought Adam to life. And we human beings, we are to be a picture of the integration of heaven and earth. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people talked about the temple and it was the picture of where the very presence of God invaded the earth in the holiest of holy places. And in the New Testament, Paul says to the believers in the church, he says, you are the temple of God. We are the place, the way that we were created, the way that we were uh, created and mandated to be in this earth was that we would be the place and, and thus the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer of heaven filling the earth of heaven invading the earth. We were created to be that integration, that place where heaven and earth combine, that we're both of the earth and of God. So Adam was breathed into him the breath of life, and everything about Adam's existence from this point until Genesis chapter three was defined by his connection to God. The way that he took in reality, the way that he lived his life, the way that he saw, the way that he thought was informed by his connection to God. Adam was full of life, fully alive, full of peace, full of joy, full of real good, powerful authority, not to take dominion over others, but to serve and to give life. Adam was in the image of God and in the likeness of God and everything that came to him, through him, 
from God to him and in him and through him. And that was the way Adam lived until Genesis chapter 3. But it's important that we know how he was created and how he was designed. And God's mandate was now go fill, from this condition, go fill the earth and take dominion. So as we go on, Genesis chapter 2 Verses eight and nine, it says, the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the garden, or out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. These are, these are important trees for our teaching tonight. He says, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he creates all these trees, but two of them are highlighted here, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and God commands, and he says, um, where is that? <laughs> uh, verse 16, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. I want to just bring up a couple points from that real quick before we move on. One, isn't it incredible how permissive God is? You know, sometimes we read this and I think we think of how restrictive God is, but he's basically like, do whatever you want, just not this one tree. And in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. I'd like to point something out there too. Notice that he didn't say in the day that you eat from it, I will kill you. I think that's an important distinction because the commandments of God are not punitive in nature, but protective in nature. It's like a, a father bringing his son to the side of the road and says, Thou shalt not go out into the busy intersection, for in the day that you do, you will surely die. You know? Sometimes we get the picture that God's like in a truck revving it up, waiting for the kid to run out, and then he slams into him. That's not God at all. But rather he's saying, don't go out into the road because there are busy trucks and they will hit you and you will die. So he's giving a protective commandment here. Don't eat from that tree, this tree in the garden, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. And we'll see why more here as we read on. But we'll go over to Genesis 3 where this fall happens. Now let me say this first, that when we traditionally think about the fall of man, again, the problem that Jesus came to solve will often make it very difficult for us to rightly discern the problem that Jesus came to solve. Often when we think about it, we think about it in this way, that Adam and Eve broke a rule and they were punished. So then Jesus came to take the punishment for rule breakers so we wouldn't be punished anymore. Now, there's a degree of that that's true. We need forgiveness for our trespasses and for the things that we've done wrong. We need that for the things we've done to others and for things that, that have been done to us. But just having punishment taken away is not nearly enough for what ails the human soul. So I want you to listen to this. He says in Genesis chapter three, now the reason I say that is this, if we define the problem Jesus came to solve simply as the punishment, the rule breakers, Jesus came, then what we'll do is we'll often just come up with solutions to help people that are simply uh, trying to motivate people and educate people to stop doing bad and to start doing good. You know, a lot of our, our processes in saving the world will revolve around informing people of what's bad and motivating them to do what's good. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that before. I know I've experienced some of that. But let's take a look at what happened in the garden here. So now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said to you, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, one, of the, one of the favorite tricks of the enemy is to come to us and convince us that death looks like life and life looks like death. I think that's helpful to keep in mind when we feel tempted by the enemy to know that he's waving his hand over us and saying, you will not surely die. But the reality is, death is what is waiting for us behind that thing. So he says, you will not surely die. So in one sentence, he accuses God of being a liar, and then he accuses him of having bad motives. God lied, and he's trying to keep something from you. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there was delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it and ate its fruit, and she gave to her husband, and he ate, and the eyes were both open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So I want you to hear what happened here. So Adam and Eve, the, the serpent comes to Eve and tempts her, and his temptation is eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and become like God. Now we all know they were created in his image and in his likeness. The temptation here was for them to be their own God, to be their own source. Eat from this tree, disconnect from God, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. God being their source, he's saying you be your source. So there was a rule that was broken, but fundamentally something much greater happened and it looks kinda like this. So let's pretend this is Adam and Eve right here. Okay, connected to God and the, and the, with the breath of life coming to them, they are lit up and they are purposed. Essentially what the enemy tempted them to do and what they did in reaching forth and taking that fruit is though they pushed God out, that breath of God out and became their own source. Well, what this looks like is this. Everybody see that? Adam and Eve disconnected from God. They disconnected from their source of life and they plugged into themselves. And we can sit here all night. This thing isn't gonna light, right? This thing is dead. And the absence of God in the human soul, the absence of him being the breath of life to us, in us, and through us equals the presence of death. And the lights went out, so to speak, for Adam and Eve. And they lost two things in the garden that day. They lost their source, and they lost their way of knowing and being. Remember, Adam, up to this point, he was connected to, and his whole life was informed by his connection to God. Well, now, for the first time in their life, they're disconnected, and they're left with the fruit of their choice, the knowledge of good and evil, to inform them of how to be alive. Another analogy would be like a computer. If we take a computer, way before wireless, there was cords hooked into your computer. And, and we have a power cord in the back of the computer tower, and we have what was called an ethernet cord, where all the data from the internet came over this cord. And essentially, it'd be like unplugging the power cord and pitching that away and moving the ethernet cord into its place. The human, the human race began to try to bring life back to their soul by being their own source and living off their own knowledge of good and evil. 
Now, knowledge in and of itself isn't bad, but it, it can never produce an ounce of life in the human soul. Only the Spirit of God can do that. So Adam and Eve are, are, are down into this condition, and immediately it says they were naked. Now, I have a theory on this. I think that they were clothed in the glory of God, and when they broke that connection, they were naked. That's my theory. Um, I could probably give some, some, some biblical stuff to back that up, but I don't have time for that. But then listen to immediately their condition. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And God called to him and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. Immediately the condition of mankind goes from full of life, full of peace, full of love, full of joy, to full of shame and full of fear and hiding from God. And then in their response to what happened, he's blam they're all blaming each other. Adam says, it was the woman that you gave me. <laughs> It's not my fault, it's not my responsibility, God, it was you and it was her. And does that sound like where we are today, yeah? We blame, we're powerless, we're full of fear and we're full of shame. And so this is the place that Adam and Eve fell to. So I, I want you to hear this, the problem that Jesus came to solve wasn't just about taking the punishment for rule breakers, even though that was a part of it, but the problem that Jesus came to solve was he came and he hung on a cross and he took death into himself and in exchange gave life back to the human race. And what Jesus does is when we surrender our lives to him, see if I can get this flap open. He enables us to plug into the source of all life. Now the problem is that we can plug in and be reanimated and be alive, but still continue to live our life being our own source and living from our own knowledge of good and evil. Very much feeling like I've got, this is all on me, I've gotta figure this out, what I need to be more alive, what I need to be more free is I need, I need to read that book. I need to do that thing, and I need to try that, and I need to do that harder, I need to do this, when what we need is we need to connect to the source, and we need to breathe the breath of life. The salvation that Jesus supplies, it happens when we surrender our lives to him, and it's a moment, but it's also a way that is restored to humanity. It's a way of being and it's a way of knowing where we surrender our lives and we surrender as being the source of our lives and we say, God, I want you to be the source of my life. Holy Spirit, I want you to be the one who is empowering me and teaching me and helping me. Um, what this can look like, I'll share briefly just some of my own experience. I know I shared last week a little bit of this, but... Um, when I was talking about the definition of freedom, one of the things that I, I talked about was um, in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things being added unto us, that the, the principle we talked about there is that what we seek first will have power over and order the rest of our lives. So we can even be seeking first good things, but still be bound. For me, I had this moment when I was 18 years old 
Uh, I was working in a factory, and I was, ironically, I was meditating on scripture, and I had this moment where uh, I had this thought go through my mind that just brought great fear to my heart, and I remember doubling over and, and just my stomach nodding up as fear just filled my heart. And it was kind of like a, a gate opening, and, and for the next two and a half years, I felt like I was going crazy. I mean, I had moments of not feeling that way, but for the most part, it was torment. And I sought first to get free from that, um, which in and of itself doesn't sound like a bad goal, but I'll tell you, it didn't bring me freedom. And the way that I sought freedom from that were ways that you would all approve of. I was reading scripture, I was praying, I was serving, I was doing everything that I knew how to do and everything that I heard from the pulpit to do. I was getting the best knowledge of good that I could get. But the weariness in my soul began to, well, <laughs> I'd like to say I was smart enough to figure it out. But I've learned along the way that the, the weariness that I felt in my soul was a great indicator that I was being my own source. And I remember I came kind of to the end of my rope um, where I just, I was tired and I thought God was probably tired of, of me dealing with it. I'll talk more about that next week, um, how much he wasn't. But uh, I remember um, I, I, I was just kind of lamenting to God saying, I've done everything I know how to do. And I feel like the more I do, the harder I try, the worse it gets. You know, and this isn't like a thing, but I was reading, I was reading my Bible two hours a day. I was praying two hours a day. I was trying really hard. <laughs> um, and I remember I came across a place in Scripture where Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said, it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come and he's going to teach you. He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to help you. He's going to comfort you. He's going to do that. He's going to do all these things. And for whatever reason, that just struck me. And I, and I just, in a moment of desperation, I just said, God, I need you to do that for me. I don't know what I'm doing here, and I need you to help me with that. I need you, Holy Spirit, to teach me and to help me. It was like a, a switch flipped in my heart. There was a shift that happened as I as I kind of began to realize, but not even really yet, that I, I was doing this on my own. And so a change happened, ever so subtle, but it helped immensely in that I took a step from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good, and I turned and reoriented my soul to the tree of life. I was gonna read John chapter one tonight, a little bit of that, but basically what it says is Jesus in him is life. He is the tree of life. He is the one that we come and eat from. I referenced John six last week. Jesus in that said, you're hungry and you want more food, and that's fine, but what you really need is to labor for the food that gives eternal life. And then he goes on in that chapter, he says, it's me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they got, a lot of them got offended and walked away. But Jesus is that tree of life. And I, I prayed that. And the next day when I prayed, the next day when I read scriptures, it was different in that I began to, instead of just reading the Bible to read the Bible, or reading the Bible to fix my problem, or praying to pray against the hosts of the enemy, instead I, I read my Bible and I prayed and I leaned in and I listened. 
and I listened for what God, whatever the Holy Spirit was gonna teach me, whatever he was going to say, and I put myself at his mercy and said, I, need, I, I, don't, I can't do this, I can't get this, I need you to do something in me, I need you to teach me. I leaned in and I went like this. And it was a process, but he began to take me on a walk through scripture. I had the first vision I've ever experienced before. All these different things began to happen as I leaned in and listened and began to eat from the other tree. And freedom began to come. And you know, talking tonight about the problem Jesus came to solve. The problem he came to solve was men and women disconnected from his spirit and living as their own source, trying to figure this stuff out on their own, even with the best knowledge of good that we can find. Jesus said, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you'll find life, but they are those that speak of me that you would come to me and I would give you life. And the invitation of Jesus tonight is to not labor in that old tree that's had humanity blinded and warring against itself for years and years and years. But the invitation of Jesus is to just, let's step away from that tree and come and eat from the tree of life. And the best way that I know how to do that is to learn to discern and to hear God's voice. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Next week, I'm gonna talk, the, our whole topic next week is gonna be hearing God's voice. And I wanna talk about how you can know that you're hearing him, how to connect with him in that way. It's completely changed my life, learning to eat from the right tree. So just a little prepper for next week. But what I'd like to do is, I'd just like you all to, bow your heads and close your eyes, not because that's the magic prayer thing, but because that sometimes helps us tune in. And I'd like you tonight, I don't want you to do your own personal assessment, but what I want you to do is I'm gonna ask some questions and I want you to listen in your heart and see what the Lord would impress upon you. Just see what comes to your heart as, as I ask these questions. Because one of two things can happen. We can be living our lives and suddenly become aware that we've been doing a lot of evil. And out of a sense of I don't wanna do evil anymore, be compelled to do good. And we can jump from one side of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil over to the other without ever actually plugging into God. Or we can plug into God and still just unwittingly continue to eat from the wrong tree and continue to live as our own source. But I just have two questions tonight I want you to listen for the answer to. One is this, is Lord, have I made the jump from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil over to the tree of life? Have I surrendered the death in my soul in exchange for the life that you want to breathe into me? Have I plugged in?
The other question is along the same lines, you know, maybe I'm plugged in. The sense you're getting is, yes, absolutely you're plugged in, but do I need to surrender some of that being my own source and begin to learn to rely more on you? I just want to give a a moment for you to listen. either of those two questions you felt compelled by the Lord to say, yes, I need, I need to do that. I just want you to, from your heart, you can say it under your breath if you want, if that, if that helps, just to say, Lord, I surrender. Would you come Take the death that's in me and breathe life. Connect me to the Father. Connect me to the source. Breathe life into my soul. Holy Spirit, will you teach me to live from your presence? To have my life be informed by your Spirit and by your grace. In Jesus' name.